0: All right, here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to the person next to you, or both of them, if you're in the middle, and I want you to introduce yourself to them, and I want you to tell them, share with them your favorite movie and why. Or a favorite movie, okay? It's hard to pick the favorite movie, I get it, but a favorite movie and why. Okay, okay. Come on back. How many of you had to name more than one? You had to name more than one. Who is willing to share their all-time favorite movie and why? Go ahead. All of the Harry Potter and why? A lot of these emotions, all of them, right? I've never seen any of them, so forgive me. Yeah, I... True confession. Okay? Anybody else before I get thrown something at me? Princess Bride. The Princess Bride. There's there are more people that like The Princess Bride, I think, than, than your favorite movie is over there. I'm sorry. Why do you love The Princess Bride? So Cuz there's so many great quotes. All right, how about one more? Right here. Another favorite to say Titanic. Titanic. Why is Titanic your favorite movie, Nick? Because it's a good movie, all right. Uh, a few of my favorite movies are uh, Saving Private Ryan, The Book of Eli, and Slumdog Millionaire, and Dumb and Dumber. All right, that one is irrelevant to almost anything in life, but people, generally speaking. I met, a, I met Sandy earlier uh, in the lobby, and she does not really like movies. But generally speaking, people love movies. Why do people love movies? Because movies tell a story. And sto- there's something about stories that are captivating, and they draw us in. And there's something about people who produce movies that say, Hey, this story, we're going to p- devote our lives to telling this story, And we think this is a good enough story that it's worth being told. So we want to make sure we make a movie and hopefully more than nine people will like it. People love movies. People love a good story. Whether it's a good story from a movie or a good story from a book or a good story from a personal experience that you had. Last night... I had the privilege of uh, witnessing a football game in the city of Ann Arbor, and I, I have this conviction that I think that was a very good story, okay? And I feel like by being in that environment, being present in that experience, I feel like this is a story that I might tell a time or two in the next few years even. Uh, And the people at ESPN might like to tell this story for even longer than that. There's something about good stories that people want to tell. We started this semester in Luke chapter 4. We at The Well uh, Campus Ministry, we love to tell stories. And we gather here tonight to also share stories stories and to read stories found in this book. And we started this semester in Luke chapter 4 where Jesus goes back to his hometown in Nazareth and he stands up to read in the synagogue and it's from Isaiah chapter 61 and he says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim and we talked about how that really means to embody or to be good news. And so we we kind of started with that story and this semester we're kind of trying to talk through the, the, the stories that are found in the book of Luke. How does Jesus embody the good news in these other stories? If Jesus is who he says he is, if he is good news, how is he good news in these stories? And so we talked about, how, Scott talked a few weeks ago about how Jesus embodies good news through his teachings. Uh, and we talked about how Jesus embodies good news by calling disciples and inviting us to participate in the story. And Jesus embodies good news, Chris talked about this last week, through this thing called forgiveness. And there's good news in forgiveness. And so we're going to continue uh, our series of how does Jesus embody the good news in the book of Luke. Uh, We're going to dive into a story in Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open that up. And if you don't have a Bible and you would like to follow along, go ahead and raise your hand. We are going to do kind of like a big group Bible study. We're going to look at a section and then like talk about it for a minute, look at another section, and talk about it for a minute. So, Luke chapter 8. If you would like a Bible, go ahead and slip up your hand. Scott and a couple other people are willing to pass them out for you as well. Luke chapter 8, starting at verse 26. Luke chapter 8, starting at verse 26. They, being Jesus and his disciples, sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across, from the, across the lake from Galilee. All right, I'm just going to stop there a second. All right, I told you we're going to read a little and then talk about it for a minute. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. Galilee, and I want you to look in verse twenty-six after the word garrisons. Does anybody have a little letter right after that word in their Bible? Yeah, and then is there a footnote that that indicates at the bottom? And and what does that footnote say? Somebody, somebody, raise your hand. And say it nice and loud for me, right here. Gatherings. Anything else? Or Gergesenes. Okay, so some manuscripts say Gadarenes, others say Gergesenes. Okay, let's talk about this. Let's look at a map. Uh, I forgot the pointer. Shoot. Uh, Okay, here's the Sea of Galilee in the top. They sailed across the region, they sailed across the lake to the region of Gergesenes. Here's Gerisa right there. Any problems with that story? Yeah, they they probably, go back to the first one. Yeah, all right. They probably did not sail to Gerasa, would be my guess, okay? So other manuscripts suggest Gadarenes. Go to the next one. Uh, okay, so Gadara is about five and a half miles south of the southern tip of the Sea of Galilee. Probably unlikely they went to Gadara, or there's a third option. Gergesa, they sailed across the lake And they came to Gergesa. Okay, so we don't have time to go into that, but there's a few different manuscripts. I mean, okay, so the guy that was writing down the thing forgot the G, okay? Um, Worst things have happened. Anyway, okay, so they sail across the lake, come to the region of the Gerasenes or Gergesa. Okay, so Gergesa was located in the region known as the Decapolis. Where and what is the Decapolis? Go to the next slide. Okay, so you have this nice yellow section here. That is the region of the Decapolis. In 322 B.C., a guy by the name of Alexander the Great, anybody heard of him before? Okay, he did some really amazing things. And one of the things that he did is he tried to bring Hellenism into this land. And so one of the things he did is he established 10 different cities in the land uh, to which he wanted to instill this Greek worldview, this Greek life, this Hellenistic Uh, culture. And so these ten cities became known as the region of the Decapolis, the Deca, Ten, Polis city. Um, And so they are in the region of the Decapolis, Hellenistic, pagan. These people over here are not really caring at all about the stories or the guidelines of this book. You went to the Decapolis for a reason, because you didn't care about these things. You wanted to write your own story. You wanted to do your own thing. So a few years ago, this is really random, but a few years ago, Stacey and I were hanging out at the beach at Saugatuck State Park. And I saw this guy walk by on the beach with his two sons on either side of him that were probably young teenagers. This guy had a tattoo on his chest in big, bold letters it said, pagan. I have no idea what his story is or his motive in having that tattooed on his chest. But I, when I think of what is the Decapolis, I think maybe they had tattoos on their chest that just said, I'm a pagan and I don't even care. Just to, just to get a feel for the type of people that were in the Decapolis region. Uh, During the time of Jesus, go to the next slide. On the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee, there were three major cities, Capernaum, Chorazin, and Bethsaida. The three cities kind of formulate a triangle. And the religious Jewish folks spent most of their time there, uh, including Jesus. In fact, most scholars say Jesus spent most of his time doing ministry in that region there, maybe up to 70% within that religious triangle location. Okay? So... Let's read this again in light of that information. Luke chapter 8, starting at verse 26. They sailed to the region of the Gergesenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me? Jesus, Son of the Most High God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, What is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged him repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. Okay, so Jesus and his disciples cross the lake, probably from the northern shore, to the area of Gergesa. Go to the next slide. All right, they take a little boat trip across the lake. Um, and not too surprisingly, they encounter this bizarre man who is without any clothes and has a lot of blood all over him and stuff like that as well maybe he's got broken chains on his wrists or his ankles yet such a weird story right but in some ways not too surprising because i mean they they hang out in the north over there and all of a sudden they're coming over the decapolis and i i envision the disciples in the boat being like jesus we're not going there are we our parents warned us about the kind of people that live on the other side of the tracks and not too shockingly, Jesus gets out of the boat, and sure enough, exactly what they, the disciples would have envisioned takes place. And I love this. The text actually says, uh, let's see, verse, I don't know what verse it is. It says, when Jesus got out of the boat, verse 27, when Jesus stepped ashore, where are the disciples?" I ain't getting out of this boat. Are you kidding me? When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. This naked, bloody guy. Total social outcast. He has no friends. He has no community. You know, has these chains on him. I mean, think like, you know, chained up like a dog. Think Sandlot. You know, like this big, scary beast that's on the other side of the fence. Right? Right? Everyone's making jokes about this guy. He has no community. And Jesus asks him, hey, what is your name? He says, my name is Legion, for we are many. Legion. The word Legion refers to a Roman uh, army platoon, generally consisting of 5,400 foot soldiers and 120 horsemen. Yeah, my name is Legion. I have an army of demons. Nice to meet you. This guy had some issues an army of demons, and he's just naming that. Let's continue our story. Verse 32. This story is so good, it's so strange. (laughs) A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into them, and Jesus gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the hillside into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pigs. Let's talk about these pigs. Who thinks that is a cute animal? All right, half of you. The other half are like, I don't know what that is. It's strange. In the Jewish culture, in the Jewish culture, pigs were considered unclean animals. According to Scripture, you're not allowed to eat pork. Okay, uh, in Leviticus chapter 11 and Deuteronomy chapter 14, that's what the people in the north side of the lake. This is this is their custom. This is their tradition. This is this is their guidelines. They go across the lake and they have pig farmers. The the same story is recorded in Mark chapter 5 and they say there are 2,000 pigs that were on the hillside that ran down into the lake. That's a lot of pigs. 2,000. That's enough to feed the entire local economy right there with that kind of... I mean, so those farmers lost out on a lot of... Um, their economic, um, not status, but uh, opportunity for for their livelihood. The prophet Isaiah actually lumps people who eat pork, people who dwell in tombs, and demon worshippers kind of all together. Okay, so this is kind of, this is the mindset of the people in the north, the Jewish religious folks who care about this book, and the people across the lake who don't care. Okay, so you got the religious folks trying to follow the book and the pagans who have these tattoos on their chest. Okay. More significantly about these pigs, uh, I think these pigs probably called up memories for these religious Jewish folks. Antiochus Epiphanes was his name. He was a Greek king about 175 years before the time of Jesus. He polluted the Jewish temple, offered sacrifices of a pig in the Jewish temple, which offering a pig as a sacrifice was what they did to idols or to other foreign gods. And so he did this in the Jewish temple where we're supposed to be worshiping the one true God. And that that did not go over well, as you can probably imagine. And to kind of drive it in even more so, there's this story where Antiochus Epiphanes, he arrested a mother and her seven sons and tried to force them to eat pork. When they refused to do so, he severely tortured and killed the seven sons one by one. This story is actually recorded in the book of Maccabees, and I want to read just a section here for you, and I've got it on the screen as well, I believe. It happened also that seven brothers and their mother were arrested and were being compelled by the king under torture with whips to partake of unlawful swine's flesh. One of them, acting as their spokesman, said, What do you intend to ask and learn from us? For we are ready to die rather than transgress the laws of our ancestors. The king fell into a rage and gave orders to have pans and cauldrons heated These were heated immediately, and he commanded that the tongue of their spokesman be cut out, and that they scalp him and cut off his hands and feet, while the rest of the brothers and the mother looked on. When he was utterly helpless, the king ordered them to take him to the fire, still breathing, and to fry him in a pan. The smoke from the pan spread widely, but the brothers and their mother encouraged one another to die nobly, saying, the Lord God is watching over us, and in truth has compassion on us. Whoa. That story is intense. But this story is the story that took place a little over a hundred years before this story. And so for the Jewish people, I don't think pigs are just like, yeah, I don't really care for pulled pork barbecue. It's pig was associated with immense torture and persecution for the people who have gone before them. And so they were like, we will not do this thing with the pigs. And so when they crossed the sea to the other side, there's this pig farm, and and the Jewish people rejoiced exceedingly when the pigs ran down the hillside and the demons down the hillside into the lake. And there was much rejoicing. Hello? Did me to answer that? Just kidding. <laughs> then the man is just sitting there dressed and in his right mind. The people were shocked. What just happened? I mean, did this, did this story really just happen? We just crossed the lake, we saw this herd of pigs, there's this naked, bloody guy that's, like, coming after us, and all of a sudden, all these pigs run down the steep hillside, and this guy's like, what's up, guys? What just happened? What is the good news in this story? How does Jesus embody good news in this story? He has this bizarre encounter with this dude, this screwed up man, had nothing going for him, and Jesus offered this man a new life. This man who had an army of demons inside of him, who had been chained up several times, mocked publicly, I'm sure, and Jesus brought healing and wholeness and restoration and a brand new life for this guy. Jesus makes all things new. Thanks to a few of you over the last couple of months, I've actually been enjoying the band 21 Pilots. So uh, there's, there was a song that was played here on the way in. Uh, Anyway, I've been listening to the album a little bit the last few months. Maybe you find yourself asking this question that 21 Pilots asks in this song. Can you save my heavy, dirty soul? Can you save my heavy, dirty soul? If Jesus can save this guy, I think he can save any heavy, dirty soul that's out there. And nobody... Nobody is beyond the redeeming power and grace and love and forgiveness and new life that Jesus offers. Nobody. Nobody in this room, nobody outside these walls, nobody on campus, nobody in the entire world, the worst possible person you can imagine that could possibly be living in this world today, nobody is beyond the redeeming power, love, and grace of Jesus. And anybody and everybody can be offered this new life. Can you save my heavy, dirty soul? Yes, he can. Yes, he can. And yes, he will. And yes, he will. This is good news. And this is why we get to worship tonight. Please pray with me. Jesus, we give you thanks for the new life that you offer. And no matter what our lives have been, no matter what our past is, No matter the current struggles or the chains that we feel are holding on to us, based on this story, this great story that you tell us through your word, we can make the conclusion that if you can do this with that guy who had an army of demons inside of him, you can do that in us. You can do that for our friends, you can do that for family members. You can do that for the annoying kid in the classroom or that colleague who just makes us crazy and only tells stories of ridiculously stupid things he did on the weekend. We are so grateful for the power and the love and the grace that you offer us. So come and breathe new life into these heavy, dirty souls. Not because we are worthy or deserving, but because we want your story to be known in this place. pray all these things in your name, amen.